Okay, welcome to the Angel Wing LLC and the Quantum Transformation Program. We are again joined by Dr. Elizabeth Berman, who is a licensed psychologist in Wilmington, Delaware. We are examining and continuing to examine the recovery process in the in the um, uh, Angel Wing program with regards to quantum transformation. You know, this inside-out transformation where uh, relapse does not occur for one's entire life. One is pretty much uh, in a in a highly evolved state, highly recovered state. Along those lines, I want to examine. Um, uh, in some depth, uh, just from the very beginning, uh, the Gamblers Anonymous uh, GA book, which is used in 12-step uh, meetings. Uh, and this is a relevant thing to ask Dr. Berman about because she talks a lot about energy and so many other fantastic ideas that will be useful. I do want to mention that I uh, am in recovery from a gambling addiction problem. I have created 41 audios on the Angel Wing Quantum Transformation Program podcast channel on how to destroy the problem from my experiences, research, study, perspective, et cetera. This is just, that's just my set of recordings which will, which will continue. We also have several recordings and several talks from Dr. Berman, Dr. Chetna, and we're gonna get a lot more. So today I want to ask Dr. Berman uh, about the serenity prayer. This is a common prayer that is used uh, as you know, and I'm just doing a screen share here with you. The serenity, the serenity prayer in Gambler's Anonymous and in other 12-step groups goes like this. Grant, uh, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So this is the very uh, common ser serenity prayer. I think that it would be great to have Dr. Roman's perspective on what this exactly means uh, you know, from her, her point of view. Let's look at the very first sentence there, that there's a reference to God, and we've been talking about divinity and the divine and all that last uh, you know, uh, last of, of four or five recordings. So this will be a nice segue uh, to maybe connect the two. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. So the, the question here that I have for you is about the word serenity. What is serenity? Uh, let's start with that, and then we'll kind of ask you a series of follow-ups uh, after that. Okay, um, I don't know that I've ever looked up the word serenity, but I, I wanted to start by kind of um, identifying a couple of words in terms of how I use them. It, it'll make what I say, I think, a bit clearer. So one of the things that I'm... I have a discernment between the verb to change and the verb to transform. And for me, change is something, an example might be, um, I buy a new house, uh, it's new for me. I decide I don't like the color of the dining room wall. So I painted a new color. I changed the color of the dining room wall. Um, I decide instead I want something more radical, right? Different. And so I knock the wall between the kitchen and the dining room out, making a one big room where there used to be two rooms. That transforms the space. Painting the wall changed the space. And so 
transformation, once when there's change, things can change back to what they were, which I think is why you've named the program using the words you've chosen. Because even before the quantum aspect of it is transformation is change that's irreversible, right? And so I think that's a really important discernment in the language of of the dialogue. Um, And so the first phrase was God uh, helped me to... I can't uh, recognize the things I cannot change. Yeah, it's serenity uh, to accept the things I cannot change. Okay. And, And so I would offer to you that serenity and maybe a synonym could be peace. Sure. Tranquility, right? And those are energy states in which there's not a lot of, um, incoherent energy fields fighting with each other or or bumping up against each other. There's a coherence in the energy. And I would offer that that actually comes about by recognizing where your power lies. As a human being, our minds are credible tools and we can recognize many, many things. And we can problem solve in terms of trying to make things, instead, I'm, I'm not gonna use better, I'm just gonna say things more like what we want them to be, right? So, That's the first step, I think, is how do you recognize what you can change and what you cannot change? And and that, I think, a true answer to that question comes from in-depth study of who am I and how do I, as a human being, how do I move through the world? And one of the ways that I think you begin to understand is a great deal of what's going on in the world, uh, the number of things that are upsetting us are out of our control because they depend on things external to us. They depend upon other people. They depend upon, within the context, I I would say, of addiction, they depend upon something outside of me that I feel the, the drive, the need to get, have, whatever, in a way that I don't really have control over the source of that experience and whether I can get it when I want it in the amount that I want it. And so 
by the process of looking at our life in that way, looking at the disturbances in perhaps what we would like to have, which is serenity, that we recognize, okay, the point of power in, in this particular situation is how am I going to respond, right? Either to the absence of what it is that I want. And, and then at some point, we begin to look at how can I tolerate the discomfort in the absence of what I want? And in answering those questions and having the behavior that follow from those answers, we begin to change neural networks in our brain. And I would offer that that's the level in which serenity can begin to find fertile ground. Yes, that's a beautiful uh, uh, introduction uh, and excellent commentary uh, um, uh, as we're moving ahead with this. So I have some follow-ups uh, um, for you on this. The first sentence is, you know, God grant me the serenity uh, to accept the things I cannot change. And so obviously there are, as you were saying, there are countless examples of phenomena, external or maybe even some internal, that we are just not able to change, that cannot be changed. So for example, one of the perspectives uh, in the addictions field is that addiction is a chronic a disease of reward circuitry of the brain. We've talked about that before also. Uh, and if that's the case, then that, that disease remains there. It just needs to be managed very carefully. It doesn't really have a permanent cure. Now, there are different perspectives on this. There are different opinions on this, and there are disagreements with this also. You know, so when, when a person in recovery from any addictions reads that line or hears that line, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the serenity to, uh, uh, to understand and, and to perceive oneself, as you were saying, about what cannot be changed. Uh, and, and, and this is an interesting point because many people in recovery, after some recovery time, maybe they have six months, maybe they have a year, maybe they have some longer period of time, they kind of feel, uh, including problem gamblers, they feel that I can take $100, I can take a little bit of money, and I can just play for one hour or half an hour, play with this little amount. But invariably, it doesn't become that. It, it reverts right back to its original level of high level of uh, expression of the addiction. Uh, it, uh, invariably, it, it reverts to that, which is an indication that there is a there is a level of this phenomena that is so deeply ingrained that uh, uh, that it just it, it's just present maybe at some conscious levels, etc. Um, so my question to you is about the, about this re, this distinction you're making about what can be changed, what cannot be changed, and then the bigger question of transformation, because you made a beautiful dis distinction as we have been making in the transformation process. You know, Angel Wing's second major principle is personal transformation, which is a universal idea. So the, the distinction between change and transformation, you, you've talked about that a bit. And then I think if you can break it down a little bit further, the distinction between things that we can actually actively do and change and you know, make, make, make uh, um, uh, a personal effort to make those changes versus things that really are not changeable by us directly. Could you talk about that distinction some more? 
and then and then maybe move into the question of transformation further. So, okay. The process of finding agency in our lives, right? Where, where can I be an agent? And in this case, I want to be an agent of transformation, not just an agent of change, right? Yes, absolutely, yes. And, and it's a good idea to start in your own life when you start a project like this, <laughs> because we have access to ourselves, right? Both how the effects of us in the outer world and the effects of what we do, say, and think in our own inner world, right? So to begin the process of, of I think in the beginning, it's intellectual, but with... Um, mindfulness and aware excuse me and awareness and and um a dedication to practice right the awareness of what's going on in me right now what thoughts are present you know just being present consciously mindful of the present moment knowing that we're in a body so we don't go off into our thoughts and forget that there's even a body, right? Moving through the world or sitting in front of a computer. Um, and what are the thoughts that are running through that the mind associated with that body? And what are the emotions and the, the, the physical feelings? And to be, to be able then to locate ourselves in time, in space, in a moment. That opens the door to actual having some power to orchestrate change and or transformation, right? Because in this moment, present to what are my thoughts? What are my emotions? What are the feelings in my body, right? I then can make an informed decision about what actions I'm going to take. And if I'm in the process of recovery, whatever that means to individuals, from some sort of an addiction, it means then that I commit myself to facing these cravings, these thoughts, these whatevers in a new way. Yes, yes, that's a that's a beautiful statement. So yeah, so when a person is facing them in a new way, that is agency. That is where an individual has purview over making decisions that are not necessarily driven by the internal impulse. Yes. Absolutely. They're not, they're not necessarily driven by what's outside of us. And yeah. perhaps in this case, the absence of something that we want, the absence of some stimulation, right? Yeah. But it, our agency is internal. It's yes. internal. And so the, the, the amazing thing about neuroplasticity is every time we respond to what used to be the beginning or the cue for a, 
an habitual pattern of responding, instead of reacting in that habitual way, we choose to do something different. We choose to act, not react, right? So react is the habit and the neural networks that drive the habit are in our brain. When we act through choice, conscious awareness choice in a different way, we start new neural networks. And this more we do, the more we act differently instead of reacting out of the pattern, the neural networks of the pattern or the habit begin to, um, the connections begin to dissolve. The, the nerves don't dissolve, but the way they're wired together begins to dissolve because we're using, creating a new neural network in the face of the same stimulus or the same trigger of craving. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yes, absolutely. And, and so I, I want to ask for you, for myself, hopefully it, it'll be beneficial for the people listening also, the, the sense that <clears throat> the idea that um, addiction is a disease of neural circuitry, are, does that say that neuro, even with neuroplasticity, you cannot change your neural circuitry? Because that's a, that, that's a great point. You, you know, there's a lot of controversy on that. There, there's a significant amount of controversy in the literature and in the research regarding this point. Um, the, the conventional thinking behind this, based on the NIDA and based on SAMHSA and all, all these various organizations, is that they, they consider it as a chronic disease of reward circuitry that has gotten into a disease state. All right, well, even if we accept that that's the case, does that mean that the disease doesn't have a cure? You know, yes. so that's that's the question. And I think that's probably very central to what we are trying to accomplish in the quantum transformation program, that we want this radical transformation from inside out, as you were saying in the beginning, that it is it becomes impossible to relapse back. It's not simply not, yes, so. Yes, so I would offer to you that as you were giving me that answer, that explanation, what I was aware of was, you know, a pill that's going to make me throw up if I drink alcohol. Yeah. That's not necessarily changing the neural circuitry because no. that's still going outside and and taking something to quote unquote fix me. Yes. I don't think that builds a new neural network. No, 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 it doesn't. Exactly. And, and see, this is the question of energy at the base. This is what I really want to ask you today. When we when we use the word God here, see, the word, very first word is used as God. You know, the God grant me the serenity, uh, you know, to uh, accept the things I cannot change. We just stay with that for a moment. However, God may be conceptualized traditionally or meditation wise or mystically or however it may be done. The fact is, this is in, in my mind, at least, that there is energy there that we cannot deny the existence of energy. Either God is a type of energy or God has energy or God gives energy or 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 even if you don't use the word God, you can say that there is energy. Right. Maybe God is another word for energy. 
exactly. You know, so it, however that may be looked at, the the question of serenity, which you know, when I hear that, that would mean a very stable, integrated, uh, harmonious, insightful, wisdom-filled mind, as opposed to an impulse-driven activity. You know, and I, the impulses are from inside. Now, the things that we cannot change, let's, uh, a couple of examples. Uh, one example is that the fact that legalized gambling is just expanding all over the world. You know, it's, it's expanding literally year by year by year uh, for the state governments and local governments and whatnot to raise lots of money and, and, and whatever the reasons are. So <clears throat> the opportunities are there. It's, it's a legal activity. Even alcohol is legal, you know, within a certain age range and all. But just because something is legal, that is not a reason to not be responsible, meaning that one needs to be responsible about what one is doing. And this goes back to um, agency, decision-making, the right actions to take, even the Buddha's idea about the right actions and all. You know, all of those ideas seem to, seem to really connect well into this notion that if we are asking God to grant serenity, you know, that there's, there's so much in the outside world that we're not going to be able to change. That much is for sure. But there's also the possibility that whatever is in the inside world, we could say that we're not sure if we can change it or not. Or, you know, rather than to cut it off completely, one, one might be able to say, wait a minute, this addiction is there inside of me. Is it true that it is a lifelong disorder? One might accept that. But you know what's interesting is that there's people who reject that idea and then they relapse again and again. But then there's also people who reject the idea and they don't relapse ever. You know, so, so there's a quite a bit of mystery regarding is this actually changeable or not? I mean, one of these uh, common expressions in the addictions field, you cannot turn a pickle back into a cucumber. You know? <laughs> You know, this is one of these common expressions in the addiction. Well, the once you have an addiction, you're just going to have it. You just have to deal with it and manage it and go through the 12 steps and all those kinds of things to, to, to stay in a state of recovery. But you're never going to be bereft of that. It's always going to be present in some form or another. And, and, and I think in the quantum transformation program, as we're conceptualizing and developing it, we're perhaps challenging that idea. But no, hold on a second. There may be actually a way to think about this and to practice it so that, so that a fundamental transformation occurs from the inside out? That is the basic question. Yes, I, I, and my answer to, if there was a question about, is there a way to look at it differently and have some practices, some tools that make sense to us and with dedication to using them, transform so okay so incurable disease yes so 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 here's a question you know to be able to perceive the dimensions of the phenomena first person perception of the dimensions of the phenomena can promote a transformative vision rather than if rather than trying to control the problem through the oscillation effect indulgence versus suppression indulgence versus you know i mean Marlott's 1999 article in Addictions Field talks a lot about this, about the oscillation of perceived control. I think he coined that phrase, and that's not something new, really. That's in the scriptures of the world also, the dualities and whatnot. But this is what, it's an oscillating phenomena. People relapse and indulge and relapse and indulge. The question is, can there be 
a, a, a once and for all vision and awakening from within energetically and intellectually and, and whatnot in a way that is purely transformative, that, that, that begins the transformation process, you know, once and for all and, 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 and pulls the addiction out of the system or transforms the addict, addictive phenomena radically, fundamentally, like the caterpillar transforming into a butterfly. So I would offer that there are a lot of ways to kind of touch the ideas you've prevent, uh, presented. Um, one way is I, I just, early, early, early in my training, <clears throat> uh, I can't even remember the name of the little book and we're going back so many years now. Um, but it was a little book written by somebody, I don't know, medical or psychological person that told in different chapters, different modalities that had created um, transfer, they didn't use the word transformational then, but permanent changes, right? Whether it was in psychological, quote unquote, illness, physical illness, right? Emotional illness. Um, and it was all the way from shaman, do you know what I mean? In, in what we would call not highly developed countries, right? That, that their medical people were more shaman than they were Western medicine as we know it. Um, to faith healings, to, you know, the, the highest and the best surgeons, whatever, right? All of this, the whole continuum of people who went to different healers, right? No matter how they were trained or what their specialty, there was one factor that was common among every single one of these healings and it was faith in the healer and i would offer to you that perhaps god in that prayer is wherever and however the person praying the prayer that's where their faith is right god is the healer in that prayer and it's real unquestioned faith in that modality that is the healing property. I remember, you know, one of my professors, same class said that they um, had been working in a fairly rural area and a man came in because he'd been having, I don't know, bad stomach cramps or something never you know a farmer in the hills of Arkansas not not very connected with modern medicine and they said okay come in we're going to do x-rays and he he was so unfamiliar with the paradigm he had been put into that, you know, he just said, yes, he did whatever he did. They did the x-rays and they said, well, come back in three months because he had in what they considered to be inoperable cancer. When he came back, he said, it's gone. And they x-rayed him 
the can the tumor was gone. It was stage four cancer, whatever. And you know, that was the example of he thought the machine was going to heal him. And he went home knowing that the machine healed him. And lo and behold, the cancer was healed. So perhaps metaphorically, the word God in, in this particular prayer is anything, anything, any any understanding that the person praying has of a power that can imbue me, that I'm in contact with some power that's beyond the kin of my understanding, but I have faith in it or else I wouldn't be praying to it. This power. Yes, yes, yes exactly. And I don't even have to know who or what I think God is, but intrinsically within me, if I'm praying this prayer, there's something, I have faith in something in order to be able to pray this prayer. And I don't even have to have a well-defined consciousness of what that something is. And so perhaps it's the faith, right? that alters our biology, because I made a little note here, the cells of the body are aware. The cells of our body are alive, right? If Until they're not, and then they're dead, and then they get sloughed out of the body as waste products. But what is it, 70 billion cells make up a human body? There, there's a lot of life force energy in our bodies. And it's because it's alive, those, those cells are alive. Every part of those cells are alive. Those cells are aware of our thoughts and our words and our actions. We're not separate from the body. And so if my belief system, if my faith is activated in such a way that I hold out the belief that whatever it is I'm asking to be helped with can be transformed, then, then you have the biology working towards an aim or a goal. Yes. Okay. Beautiful. So along those lines, as you were talking, there were several ideas that came into my mind about this prayer. Uh, something new may have popped up in my mind, which I'd like to share with you and the audience. You know, th this, this sentence here, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Yes, I cannot change perhaps certain inbuilt impulses, high-level conditioning, etc. But the, the serenity... This is the interesting part that when serenity is present, actually, that the serenity can act or may act upon the individual. And that action of serenity is transformative, which is, which is then you can say that is a divine power or the grace of God or whatever language one may want to use. It is the difference between I trying to transform or I trying to change versus the state of serenity 
which is a benediction, which is a gracious grace, which is coming out of the higher power, which is coming out of uh, religious contemplation, meditation, uh, a, a greater awareness, a 360 degree vision. All of those things are bringing about a state of serenity. Would you say, Dr. Roman, what is your thought about this, that the serenity acts on the individual? Yes. And, and perhaps another way of viewing serenity from just what you've said, right? Jumping off from that is that there's a co coherent energy in the mind, body, and spirit, let's just say, uh, of the being, right? There's a coherence. And perhaps that, in fact, comes because all of the cells, right? We're asking for something that's going to bring a state of peace and coherence in us, and we're calling it serenity, right? So all of the cells are aware of calling that in. So perhaps there's a way in which, and I know I'm anthropomorphizing, but that the cells now respond to go into a more, more coherent mode, more cooperative mode, less um, whatever, less agonizing mode, right? And I would offer to you that perhaps a part of, of the exploration to find where our true agency lies, right? Is that we, in examining the thoughts that are there that we're not currently or you or consciously aware of, can be very damaging, can be very judgmental, can be fear-based, shame-based, um, regret-based. And those are all very contracting energies, right? That stand in the way of coherence in the cells, right? So in order to have my cells be healthy, happy, vibrant, all working together, right? To sustain this community that I call my body. The, the, the thoughts, most of which are subconscious, all of which came from when we were very young. And in some ways, they're variations on an internalized voice of somebody telling us we're wrong, we're bad, we're unlovable, we're never going to make it. You know, what everybody knows from their childhood certain phrases that are just there, right? And they tend, those loops tend to run on a subconscious level. And of course, they would be feeding some sort of mechanism that's looking for a sense of relief from that. And be that the high of whatever, right? A new car that, that makes you happy for about four days. Um, or do you know what I mean? A, a win at the gambling, gambling table or injecting some euphoria, creating drug into our veins. But those all have a beginning, middle, and end, right? And then we're right back where we started or even worse. Yes, and see, this is this is the question of satisfaction, that that satisfaction or satiety, satisfaction, which is which is part of the part of our sensory experience of life, right? When we we have hunger, we have an impulse, we want to satisfy. Desire comes up, 
the wanting of an experience is because of the the experience is it's a first person phenomena there's a there's an you know there is the um uh, experience of let's say winning money right it's it's not it's not just an abstraction it's a real life experience so so the serenity it becomes active or, or moves into an active phase where where the relinquishing of that experience in its entirety occurs. Yes. Could you elaborate on that? Well, I I think that there are ways in which I have read in scriptures from different traditions um, that you reach you can reach a point of consciousness in which even though you're suffering, you, you're not aware of suffering, right? And so trying to fit that into a way that takes it out of just stringing words together and have it make sense is we're talking we're using words to talk, to try and exchange ideas and expand our both of our awarenesses, consciousness, right? Through the listening and, and the speaking. By their nature, words have meaning because they exist in a duality, right? We, we live in a world of duality your body's your body because it's not everything else. It's not the projection of that yellow flower behind you. It's not your glasses. You know, my body's not my reddish colored shirt, right? So we're using words that by definition are finite and, and have limits. That's the only way they can have meaning to try and talk about something that's transcendent, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. So change is we go from one state to a sta another state that wasn't incorporated in the first state. Transcendence is something altogether different, right? You know, yes, yes. Uh uh, I'll share with you uh, some in, it's some interesting insight kind of I had this past week about what you're talking about. Uh, as you know, there are thousands and thousands of people who gamble and who lose money. I'm just talking about gambling phenomena, just, just for the time being. As you know, it is a legal phenomenon. Like in the state of Delaware, there are three racinos they're called. They're the racetrack plus the casino is called a racino. Now, this is something which most people may not think about it this way, but I had a, I was thinking about it this past couple of days this way. Let's say you have an individual who goes to one of these casinos in Delaware and takes $1,000. And through the slot machine or through one of these games, what variety of games, they lose the $1,000, right? So they come back home. Of course, they wanted to win money. They didn't win. They, they are distraught about it. They're unhappy about it, et cetera. But where did that $1,000 go? This is the interesting part. You know, some part of it is going to go for the state government out of tax. Some of it is going to go to pay for all the employees that are working in the casino system and related systems and all the material that they buy. So it, it will fuel that part of the economy and, and it'll fuel the, the incomes of the people working and buying things and, and, and whatnot. And then the third portion will go to the owner of the casino after he, he or she pays the tax. And then that person will probably use that money or save that money. So it's essentially, 
essentially that $1,000 got distributed in perhaps thousands of different ways, which has rippling effects all the way around. You know, and, and I was thinking about this. I said, wait a minute. What if people in recovery thought about their lost money this way and just and let it go that this is all just gone you know, to, to the to the humanity and and not go back and, and fuel that process anymore. Try and recoup it, it, right? Because because they're gonna damage themselves. But at the same time, rather than the, the way to come out of the regret is to is to change the perspective, which you've talked about, change the perspective. This is just gone to help the humanity and let it go once and for all. What do you think about this, this idea? I think, that's, I think that's huge in the sense of agency, right? My perspective on who I am and how I relate to everything, right, that's coming in to me, the thoughts that all my response to this sensory stimulation offers, to be able to shift the focus, I maybe this is a pivotal word here, my focus from loss, I have to get it back, what's wrong with me, right? All of those are very contracting energies and they feed guilt and shame and I'm unlovable, you know, I'm not worthy of being treated right, which is how is that going to bring wealth and winning and anything to you, right? Exactly. So to shift it, to look at, wow, just like I might pay X number of dollars to go to the Super Bowl. I have no idea how much it costs for the Super Bowl, but it just happened. I watched it on TV, right? But I'm sure people paid a bunch of money. I don't think they feel, especially if they're team one, they don't feel like, they're wrong or bad for having spent that money, right? Something really nice happened, right? And I'm sure the sadness of my team didn't win. In the end, it's not like, oh, I'm a bad person because I spent this money to go see my team play in the Super Bowl, right? So this sense of worthiness, right, is... I think critical in this in 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 the total scheme of things to be able to have agency to create the kind of life that's going to bring experiences I choose to have. And second part of the prayer, when I recognize that I'm going to encounter experiences that I have no control over may I move through that with grace, right? And and kindness to myself and others instead of the blame, right? You're bad because you made me feel this way. I'm bad because when you said that I overreacted, now I feel this way, right? No, things happen, right? Some we might like and some we might not like. But if we can find a sense of belonging and being worthy of love, I mean, we're being gifted with an experience of human life, which people who talk about it say this is one of the greatest gifts you can have, right? Yes, <laughs> so, yes. So I'm worthy of something, right? I've been given the gift of human life. 
And every day that's renewed for me until it's not. And can I just feel the grace in that? Can I feel that I'm lovable enough to be here to have the experience of a human life? And I think that's all a part of turning that internal sense of self around to have the courage to say, I can have agency in my own life, right? And also, and also the courage to radically change the perspective. You yes, know. yes, 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 yes. They Because the perspective is I'm worthy of goodness. I am good, right? It's not just I'm worthy of love, but I am lovable. I'm still here in a human body. Yes. Now, here's what's interesting. You know, take that $1,000 example. A, a, a person with $1,000 goes to the casino and loses the money, but they're going to the casino. Why well, Why are they going there? They're going there because they want to win the jackpot. And you know, these are the kinds of thoughts and win lots of money and whatnot. Or, or escape, or whatever the reasons are, they're not going there with that. With, with, with what I was saying before about well, if I lose this money, there's going to benefit the thousands of yeah, people. It's not entertainment. There, yeah. There's something much more than because if it was entertainment, you could decide to spend your thousand dollars on a trip someplace where it's warm when it's really yeah, cold. Sure, sure, sure. So, so there's a great sense of the psychological me that is strengthened that I want to win. The I has just gotten inflated. Now, now, the same individual goes to a church or a temple or a synagogue or some whole religious place and says, you know, I'm going to give a donation for $1,000 and that's going to impact, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people or some relief fund or whatever it might be. The, the whole experience is not coming from that inflated I. Yes, and I would offer to you that another perspective on the inflated I is I am so hollow, I need a win at the casino to feel good about myself. So in, sure. in some ways, what's inflated is insecurity. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Which is the opposite of agency or power in my own life. Exactly, because that's the impetus of actually going and sitting in front of a slot machine or whatever for hours and hours. And we can see that. It's not anything hypothetical. You can just go to any casino and you'll see people sitting there kind of zoned out, you know, in, in front of those machines because it's an attempt to escape. It's an attempt to fill those empty spaces. Uh, it, it's, it's very interesting. So uh, a follow-up question here is is with regards to, you know, the, the, the granting of the serenity of, by God, let's say that there's God or there's divinity, there's energy, somehow serenity comes about. So let's, I'd like to ask you further about this. A serene mind is, from your perspective, what is the relationship between the movement of energy in the mind and a serene mind? Well, <clears throat> I think that, and I'm not sure whether I want to call it mind or just pure consciousness, but serenity exists. It's a part of the human capacity. And 
a state of serenity perhaps influences the thoughts running through the mind. And so perhaps something, somebody might say or do something to me when I'm in a serene state of mind and I can just have a sense of compassion for that person who lashed out, they must be in pain or why would they lash out at a stranger or somebody that they know cares for them, right? So that state of compassion would be my chosen response as opposed to a very turbulent mind facing that same insult or, you know, accusation would react in a defensive way. Yes, definitely. Right? So, so serenity is an energy field that I think, yeah, we can cultivate. It's there within us. It, it's not like we have to go fly, learn how to fly through the cosmos and collect serenity from Venus. And you, do you know what I mean? Empowerment from Mars or whatever. It's all within the human mind. It's okay. a matter of can we get deep enough into our awareness of who we are internally, our internal world, that this agitated, that sometimes I call it the monkey mind, isn't interrupting us over and over and over and over again with another thought, another thought, another thought, which if you really follow them, if you sit in a mindful practice to just observe the mind, you realize that in, a, in just a very few minutes, the mind will think thoughts that totally contradict each other, have yeah. no coherent reason for having come up, right? And it's a pretty good practice to do that every once in a while so we can have some familiarity with literally how our minds work and that there's a state of being able to focus and not let the thoughts, the random thoughts that are coming in distract us and 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 bring us into a chain of thinking more about a particular thought. And that that's where the states of coherence, serenity, peace, self-acceptance, right? Self-love. Because how can we really accept anyone else if we don't accept ourselves? How can we really love anyone else if we don't know self-love? Do we really, isn't it just transactional otherwise? Oh, I'll love you if you behave this way and make me feel good, right? There's well, something love we're talking about. No, exactly. And see, uh, as, as we've discussed before, in the case of addictions, uh, for example, there are something called action gamblers. These, these are people who are in action. They want these, you know, higher wins and they are, they're thrill seekers and, and whatnot. And it's not just in gambling, it's in many other areas also. When there is a pursuit, <coughs> when there is a pursuit 
of euphoria, of, of excitement. Of course, in the normal frame of life, those experiences are there. But when an addiction is present, there are there's a class of individuals that just is pursuing that relentlessly. This is like in the severity of, of addiction. Sometimes they're using stimulant drugs, you know, are, they're the uppers, essentially. Uh, some people have a sex addiction that's been talked about more now uh, these days. In, in gambling addiction, there are these action gamblers uh, that are, are pursuing these bigger wins. You know, they're lo looking for action and they, they make larger bets to, in, to increase that, that experience of winning. It seems to me that serenity is the wisdom or ser serenity has wisdom that acts upon the desire for that experience. Well, maybe you don't have the desire for that experience because serenity is really true. Serenity is more powerful. Yes, that, yes, exactly. Okay, right. right. So maybe the, the way I would put it is that, is that as serenity begins to develop, or let's say it begins yes. to erupt, you know, to open up from within, you we, begin to realize that there is a state, right? That's serene. Yes, I, I think. Yes. Many what? people go through most of their lives with, without having any extended period of time in the state of serenity. Yes. Now, now this is the interesting part. In the, in the state of serenity, when, when an individual begins to get a glimpse of that, then action performed in that state of serenity is non-binding in the usual sense. Yeah. Because, yes, exactly. Because you're not attached to the fruits of the action. The state exists. It's not something you're pursuing. And so whatever actions you take, the consequences are not relevant to you. Yes. It's, it's, you're already it's, there. You don't yes. need something to take you there. It's not, it's not coming from a state of lacking, which is what the ego does. The ego is nothing but another state of lacking. In, in this, so. say, yeah, the, the, it's often said that the ego craves stimulation because that's the only way it can validate its existence. Yes, exactly, exactly. And then, of course, there is an ego-laden experience the experience cannot be denied it is theirs as, as someone puts a five dollar bill in a slot machine and they win twenty thousand dollars there is <coughs> excuse me there is the experience of that phenomena but that experience needs to be seen through the serene mind in its entirety including its binding aspects its its um um, you know the the resurgence of desire, the wanting, the repetition of that uh, uh, of that experience, the wanting to re-experience that, and then of course the appetite for more of it. So, this is final question for today. Serenity prayer—it's definitely a prayer. It, it is a it is a wish from inside. You know, the God grant me the serenity. Let's look at the word grant. For a moment, the granting of serenity. Who is who is the one that is granting serenity? Where okay. is serenity? This is the question. Right. <laughs> I'm going to go back to a statement I made earlier that all of this exists within the human mind. Whether we experience it or not doesn't mean it's not within 
the existence of the vastness of the human mind. So there's a way that I think in some, okay, there's a way that words get kind of laden with certain identities. Um, it's almost now when the word love is used, people, if they're really interested in what you're saying, they'll ask you, please tell me what you mean by love. Because, oh, I love nachos, right? Is that the same as the love that you have for your mother that you have such a healthy, loving relationship with who's nurtured you, educated you, cared for you for so many years, right? Is that the same love you have for whatever? Your child, you, is that the love you have for your country? And who do you, what even do you think your country is? So, so we can, I think we can agree that there are certain words that have been used in so many ways that if you're really serious about the conversation, you kind of stop and say, what do you mean by that? Right? So I think God is one of those words that's been used for so many things across so many traditions in so many ways that I would offer to you that I'm not sure when somebody prays that prayer and says, this is very meaningful to me. <clears throat> if they're open to it, I'm really interested in what do you mean by the word God? What, 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 what who is it? that you're asking this boon, this gift, this grace of, right? And, and I think that people who have been on a path to answer the question, who am I? At some point understand they're connected to whatever they imagine God to be. That in a sense, their life their existence depends on that energy that they've labeled God and is sustained by that, right? So they're not separate from that energy. And so this is a conversation with a part of themselves. Um, yes, and I don't exactly. mean that to be blasphemous and say, oh, I'm God, you better worship me. That's not what I'm saying at all. Yeah about the source of everything right energy itself right so even to be able to if that prayer means something to you ask yourself who is it i'm praying to what is my connection to that is it a being is it an energy is it a consciousness and I think all of those are a part of the discovery of how you will approach literally transforming your life so that whatever this addiction is, it transforms into something else. Yes, that's very great. Wonderful, Dr. Berman. Thank you very much. We will pick it up next week. It has been a fantastic conversation and thank you for spending so much time with us. We will be creating a podcast out of this and we'll keep moving ahead to try to build the quantum transformation program as you move step by step. Thank you very much. Thank you.